Hello and welcome to episode number seven of Islington Mill and a monthly podcast series about the cultural life of one of the UK's most beloved artist-led creative hubs, Salford's Islington Mill. I am your host, The Nihilist, and for this month's episode of Islington Mill and I'm joined by guests Charles Lauder and Rivka Rubin to discuss the linguistic practice they have founded, which is known as upwording. Rivka has previously appeared on Islington Mill and in episode number three to discuss upwording with me, and I would recommend listening to that if you want a potted history of what the practice entails. But for this episode, Rivka is joined by Charles Lauder, who also founded the practice with her. And we're going to take a more in-depth discussion of what it actually means and the practical applications of upwording in our day-to-day lives, and specifically here at Islington Mill. How upwording has been and continues to be used in this space, where the concept came from, and its potential applications in more general day-to-day life. I'm not going to have a very long intro for this podcast, I'm just going to get straight to the interview. Here is Charles Lauder and Rivka Rubin and myself, the Nihilist, discussing upwording. Charles Lauder and Rivka Rubin, welcome to Islington Mill and podcast, although Rivka you've been on this a couple of times already, and you're back this month to talk about upwording. So I'm going to field you guys a very easy, simple, straightforward question to start with. What is upwording? It's a number of things. Uh, some people call it a movement. It's definitely an invitation, a proposal, an offer. Uh, many call it a practice. Mm-hmm. Hmm. A practice of what? It's a practice based on our belief and one that's shared by others, that our habitual current use of language uh, tends to be, whether intentionally or not, coercive, hierarchical, littered with labelling, as in you are a, I am a, Mm -hmm. to the detriment of how we actually communicate and definitely to the detriment of us seeking to have positive, useful interchange that can be beneficial to all parties. Okay. And how does upwording, when put into practice, manage to have a more positive interaction with people? Start with something really simple. Okay. Um, Two, three-letter words. But Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and. Yeah. If you say something to me and I respond with, yes, but, pretty much everything you hear from me after that but, you will perceive as a rebuttal Mm -hmm. of what you said. Mm -hmm. I could say almost exactly the same words. If they're prefaced by and, Mm -hmm. your response is different. And you can try it for yourself in, in your own mind at the moment. Hear a but or an and. With an and, you move to a position of, oh, what I've said has been accepted and is now being built upon. Mm-hmm. With a but, it's a, let's push that aside and put something in its place. Sure. And that's one of the simplest and certainly the one that I use the most mm. commonly as an example of what we're looking at when we're talking about upwording. 
yeah, that's a, that is very, that's very interesting. Um, and also I feel like that as an example is very straightforward. Is there, would there be another example? Could you develop on that a bit more with perhaps another example of button and very straightforward ways of, it's quite easy in my head when I think about making statements to substitute the word and for the word but. But is there more to it than, is there like deeper levels of what upwording may be? Other examples of a more complex kind of take on what that might mean in practice? I want to go in two directions at the moment. Okay. Maybe the more complex you're um, asking for could be that the use of the but at that moment puts the weight on what I'm going to say and brings down or evaluates that which you have maybe or somebody else has put forward as lesser. So therefore it's also an example of superiority. Okay. Okay. I will elevate my contribution by even if I go, I agree with you, but I think, and I'm going to use another word that we would question, we should do it this way. And the word in that statement that you question is? Should. Okay. So in this case, the but mm -hmm. and the should, I have just elevated myself into a position above you. Okay, this is kind of what I was getting at when I asked the question in terms of substituting the word and for the word but. It's very straightforward and it seems like a very positive thing to do, but that seems more like a reflection of just my own personal usage of language. On If I was interacting with either one of you individually, I could try doing that. But what I'm getting at, I think, with what I'm trying to ask is something that's a bit more like... Um, approaching the systems of language that we use and how language is used in general in the world today as we live in it, rather than just my own personal usage of language. Okay. When we do sessions introducing people to upwording, one of the first things we ask is, how would you not like to be spoken to? Okay. How would I not like to be spoken to? Okay, that's a direct even question how, to me. Can you really not bear being spoken bear being to? Or spoken even hate to. being spoken to? In, uh, it's got to do with context, but I'd say if we can go for like the most universal context, it's something that's a bit too commanding and feels a bit um, like I'm being spoken down to, especially if I'm in a situation where I feel like perhaps my knowledge base is better and bigger than the person who's speaking to me. And then they start talking to me in a way that makes me feel inferior to them. Um, yeah, like... I'm trying to think of a, a of an actual example to give for this, but I don't know, in, in, in general terms, some field that I work in where I'm very skilled and then somebody's come in to employ me in a freelance basis, but they don't know exactly what they're trying to say or what they're trying to, what they want from me. And then they start commanding me in ways that I know aren't correct. Does that make mm -hmm. sense, what I'm trying yeah. to say? Yeah. So the things I've just heard were commanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, being spoken down to, mm -hmm. some people would call that being patronised. And there's a few others that people, when we introduce this, when we ask the questions, come up with, so check if you might like them. Mm. Uh, aggressively? Sure. Do yeah. you like being spoken to aggressively? Uh, not particularly, <laughs> yeah, but you know, there are some contexts. You know. When you give consent. <laughs> when you can give consent to, yes. Yeah. 
I don't like exactly. to be too prescriptive about how any individual uses language because I do believe that language is a tool that we all have the right to use in individual ways. Yeah. And for instance, in some of my work, I like to deliberately use language that is used against me pejoratively and try to turn it into a positive thing. So when you're asking about ways I don't like being spoken to in, I have to be clear that the context is specific or not from the specifically niche contents context that I may sometimes inhabit in my own personal usage of language because I can sometimes use language in an aggressive way but where people are consenting to that and they enjoy it. So the operative is here is the consent. Yes. So taking the command which is also being ordered mm. and that is an interesting one because people do go yeah but I'm okay with being ordered. Mm -hmm. In fact I might even like it so the liking is will be consent. Yeah. Order me. Yeah. Tell me what to do. Mm. If that is without consent, then so far we've noticed that everybody, everybody, and I'm saying that very carefully, goes, no, I don't like being told what to do unless I've given my consent. Or yeah. I specifically join a group of people where that I even co contractually sign the army, the police force mm -hmm. or any other organization mm -hmm. where I absolutely agree I will be told without questioning it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so others that come up within the I don't like, and we mean by I don't like, is it motivating? Mm -hmm. Is it helpful? Does it really invite to enjoyable action? Mm -hmm. So you, you went uh, commanded, being commanded, being patronized, being spoken down to, mm -hmm. then there's the aggressively, there's the being compared, being judged, being labeled. Mm. Yeah. Again, very different to self. I might give myself a label, mm -hmm. being labelled by others in a different way, people don't seem to particularly like, unless it's a nice one, of course. Yeah. And mm. how do you tend to respond when being spoken to like that without, without the consent? Without the consent. <laughs> not well. <laughs> um, angers me. Um, not in a, not in, an, in, a kind, in a kind of very low level, not in a very... Um, like I'm going to act out on my anger, but it can instill in me a kind of low-level anger that will sit with me for quite a while, for like mm -hmm. a few hours or maybe even the mm. entire day, depending on what the incident was. Um, yeah, but it is it is good that you you have cleared up the area of context around it though as well, because certain people do seek out to be commanded, but then again, they're asking for in you know, in an ideal situation, they'll be asking for that and they'll be overtly giving their consent for that to happen. But when it does happen to you and you're not consenting to it, for instance, like traffic jam or something like that, you know, just some kind of like situation that we find ourselves in every day that can ramp up our anxieties and make us feel unhappy. Yeah, being spoken to by, for instance, a complete stranger who has like cut you off and then shouts at you, you know, or somebody shouts something rude and derogatory at you from a car going by like we don't consent to that really or even you have to finish that report on friday yes yeah yes being it must told, be done like this yes yeah this is how it's done yeah and that's part of what getting out when we talked about um when i spoke about earlier about coercion and hierarchy mm-hmm yeah uh, it's it's clear if you're being ordered that there is a degree of coercion involved yes as yes Rif as rifka said earlier the position that the other person is taking is one that says that I am superior to you, mm -hmm. which is a, a hierarchical. Mm -hmm. Which of these words would you say 
describe what you were talking about in terms of how you respond? Resist? That can definitely be an element of it, yeah. Again, that's very contextual. But I think when you're given a non-consenting order, I think it's a natural reaction to resist, to go no, because I didn't like that. So internally, my natural dislike of that brings up, don't do it then. But mm -hmm. that might not be the correct. So there's mm -hmm. a part of, it might even be a rebellion. Yes, yeah, I'm yeah, definitely absolutely. definitely not going to do it. I would have done it mm -hmm. if you had asked me nicely mm. yeah to take the bins out you've told me to take the bins out i'm definitely not going to take them out yeah the resisting might be i may take them out i'll definitely do it later slower and with, with less energy mm -hmm. and i might not bother to make sure that everything that should be in the bins actually is because you yeah. just said take the bins out yeah so that'll show you i'll do a half-ass job because mm -hmm. i don't care yeah yeah mm. i may refuse to even engage in any further conversation and walk away yeah. Or, here's one other one is, I may resign and I may do it because the power over that you hold in the relationship to me, mm. by your role, by your age, mm -hmm. by... Circumstance. Yeah, yeah. May mean that I have too much fear to do the rebelling and resisting and to take an action that's rebellious or resisting. I might still feel it. I will resign and I will do it. Mm -hmm. And we would, I would say that comes at pretty high cost. That's, yeah. er, that's eroding a real sense of self. Yeah. So it becomes harmful. And the whole thing about upwording is about noticing what in our current vocabulary of how we engage with one another mm -hmm. and with ourselves is hindering rather than helpful. Yeah. Demotivating yeah. rather than motivating, even harmful. Yeah, because as you're talking about it, I'm now picturing myself like currently I'm self-employed and I produce podcasts for a living, which is a great thing for me. But in the past, thinking back to when I was doing work that I didn't particularly want to do or I was in an office situation. And it was that thing where you would get asked or ordered to do something in a way that you didn't respond very well to. And then you would do, like I said, you would do a half-assed job and it does erode at your self, your idea of self-worth i feel because if you then are like why am i doing this i shouldn't be doing this and that's circular and then it will take you down a path of like i shouldn't be here i shouldn't be doing this which all these things may be true but they're not going to get you through the moment in that place when you're doing that thing very well and how do you think that impacts on the relationship that you would have with the person who gave the command and indeed with yourself in that in that context not well at all um Resentment, in terms of the relationship with the person giving the command, I think that would build up a sense of resentment. Um, again, there are you know, different factors to different things, but when I think about this sort of thing and how this would have happened in my own life, for instance, working in, I'm thinking back to one of my particular jobs now, I'm thinking back to one of the kind of line managers who would walk the floor, and the way, particularly the ones who didn't do it very well. Um, yeah, it would build up a sense of resentment because... On the one hand, you, I would be like, I don't think I should be doing this, or I could do this better than you. And all these negative emotions then impact on the the relationship of power that you have with the person who is your boss, or who is your line manager, and who is giving you commands. And 
yeah, from my point of view, I think that would build up into resentment, negative feelings. Like you said earlier, Rivka, not wanting to do it or not wanting to do and use that drugs doing, like I said, half-assed, doing a not very particularly good version. I think maybe to prove a point to them somehow that, like, I'm worth more than this or something like that. Yeah. So what I'm hearing in there is it's not good for the work because mm. it won't be the best job. Yeah. It's not good for the relationship and it's not good for you. Because mm. as you say, not only do you not do your best, which means you're less likely to be proud of what you've done, mm -hmm. the chances are that you take that feeling away with you. Mm. Yeah. It could ruin your day. It could impact on everything else that you do thereafter. So what we're saying and suggesting is that if we engage differently from the beginning, mm -hmm. the potential for that to be a successful, mutually successful outcome will increase. Mm. Cool. Because if we choose to engage differently from the beginning, i.e. without any form of hierarchy present in the communication, even if in my roles I may have a place in a hierarchical structure, it doesn't require me to speak from a position above you mm. at any time, then we may also find that we, I do find, we can actually focus on what maybe is being brought to the table, whether that is a request and the impact that doing that request or not doing that request would have. Mm. Uh, it may be something that I want to bring to you or somebody else's attention. Mm. Because if maybe we do it differently together, we again have even more of a mutually beneficial outcome. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the word, the, the language I choose around it is evaluative, it's not good enough. Yeah. Picking up on the words good, better, better, worse, which were there before. Or in some way I am labeling you into something or even blaming or shaming you or commanding you or telling you what you should or ought to do according to me. Then... Like you just said, you might spend a lot of time just trying to bring yourself back up to the same level yeah. rather than actually ever addressing what is the content of, what the content of our conversation could be mm. or was hoped for. I think that's why when you, when you use the word context, I think, Rivka, you sort of linked that with intent. Mm -hmm. I think... If the intention is for a mutually beneficial outcome, then you'll do almost anything in order to try to achieve that. Mm. And if the language can assist that process, why would you not engage with it? Mm. Whereas if the intention is to get you to do what I want you to do, or how I want you to do it, or the intention is to educate you, make you pay, for something that I don't like that you did, mm. blame, shame, or frame you, or in some way control you and coerce you, well, actually, I'll begin to coerce you, then that is, that is going to be felt mm. and will be met by the retaliation, the rebellion, the resistance. Yeah. The reason that I brought up my own personal context of my kind of situations I've been in where this seems very relevant is it seems very common now that I'm, you now that you're articulating and i'm thinking about it it seems very common and something that we encounter all the time in the in the day-to-day -day world just out there in the real world but i want to know 
where did upwording come from? It's quite funny you say out there in the real world. There's mm -hmm. also out in here in the real world, and um, just I'm pointing to my head at the moment. Yeah. The real world is also very much what is going on in here. Mm -hmm. Again, with the choice of vocabulary I use, not only towards another person, about another person, towards myself and about myself. Mm. Because all that damage or hindering can be done to oneself in the way we evaluate ourselves, position ourselves, blame, shame ourselves, mm. and even make ourselves do things, the self-commanding things of I have to. Mm. Your question, we can pick that up in a minute, was where does it come from? Mm. Um, it's, I would say it's probably come from the moment language was invented. Okay. More recently in that where, how I've become aware of the impact of the words that we choose to speak or think upon ourselves and others is um, very strongly through nonviolent communication. Okay. Um, which has been around since the 70s, mainly the 2000s. Okay. Um, before that, up to a point, also neurolinguistic programming has really looked into that. Mm. I'd say most studies around therapy, psychology, um, already have a lot of developed awareness around yeah. uh, that the way we speak to ourselves and to each other yeah. has an impact, yeah. a detrimental one or a really supportive one. Yeah. What, what hasn't happened so much yet, and I think nonviolent communication is the root here around basic human needs and how we meet them and how they might be threatened by not just our actions but our words, which are actions, um, is we haven't really uh, uh, yet chosen to pay attention to the, to the vocabulary that we choose to use or use habitually, as Charles, you said before, mm. even without realizing, and mm. we could argue unintentionally, we could unpack that, um, at times, just by the, habit, the sheer habit of it, and to actually notice how much impact that can create mm. around, uh, towards others and in the whole world. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why we talked about that whole thing when we said about upwording, that it's an invitation. Okay. In the first instance, I think it's an invitation to have a, a degree of self-awareness, to start being aware of the words that we use and mm -hmm. how we use them, and also then of awareness of others, you know, get the antenna up to see, how's that landing? Mm. When I say that, what kind of response and or probably more importantly, what kind of reaction do I get? Mm. And if I change it, what then happens? So that's why I did the button and as a very simple thing and say you can do that with, with yourself. Mm. You don't even have to wait until someone else is around. Yeah. Similarly, when Rivka was saying that how we talk to ourselves, imagine the conversations we have sometimes before you go into, I don't know, an important meeting. Yeah. And the self-doubt kicks in and, and this, this other voice starts, I mustn't, mm. or I have to, must remember to. Mm. And how often does that actually start demotivating you with regard to this important session? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because we're using those command and 
blame, shame, whatever expressions mm -hmm. in talking to ourselves in making the preparation. Mm -hmm. And here is a question. Is there actually anything that we have to do? Is there anything any of us must do? In life? Yeah. The big question? Yeah. And you're asking me that? Yeah. Okay. Um, Is there anything you have to do? Me personally, what I have to do and what I felt has been the most beneficial to me on a personal level is to follow my artistic desires and my creativity and to try and let that flourish as much as I possibly can in my day-to-day -day life. I felt that since I've come into a period of my life where I've been able to do that again, thankfully, um, my life feels a lot more be better. I feel a lot more centred and I feel I am able to engage in better relationships with people in general because I feel a lot more centered and grounded in myself because I know, I feel like I am doing what I'm supposed to be doing. At least that's how I feel in my head. And who told you you had to do that? Nobody told me I had to do that. I feel it was just a feeling. But also there were circumstances in my life where certain things came to a head and I felt like if I don't do this or if I if I don't stop this other thing and do the thing that I want to do, I'm really scared of where I will end up both mentally and physically. Right. So it wasn't necessarily something that was directly being commanded to me to do, but it was still a desire that I had. So and how that did that it happen? How did it then happen? So there wasn't a direct command. Mm -hmm. It's a realisation that you had. Mm -hmm. What took it to taking that action or step? Hmm. Well, when you're asking me this personally, I also feel I've had a very lucky one of things in my life, especially recently. Um, I was working in healthcare when the pandemic started, and that was the reason why I just knew that I had to end that line of work for myself because not only was it physically dangerous it was also mentally very very taxing um but then thankfully i came here to the mill and there were some opportunities that were afforded to me here in the mill and it felt like a very good grounded place to try and get back stuff like working in a music studio okay. building a music studio again and having people artists and stuff around me facilitating their work great so you came to the mill mm-hmm you chose to come to the mill? Yes, yeah. Or you had to come to the mill? Chose to come to the mill, yeah. Okay, and that's the point we're making. The moment we take an action, mm. with however long we may have had that realisation or have been in the job that doesn't work mm. anymore or in a relationship or whatever, it might be around choice of food or whatever, There is. it is always when when we make a choice that something happens. Yeah. So the point really is that everything that we do is a choice because we might tell ourselves all these things that we have to do, that doesn't mean we do any of them mm. or all of them. Hence the lists, the have to do lists are very, very long mm. and often don't get done at all. So have to doesn't actually lead to action. True. There okay. is a little step which is a choose to. So the difference is I might go, I have to go to work which case I'll probably start blaming you or others mm. or somebody for, well, I'm the only one is, I've got to carry on 
I, I've got to uh, bring in all the living, mm. or the state tells me whatever, there's externalized responsibility mm -hmm. and pressure and blame, or I may go, I am going to work mm -hmm. because I still want to bring in that level of income. I don't like the job. Yeah. And I'm much more likely to make a change. I'd go so far as to, to relate a conversation that I had with my mother ages ago, um, which puts a context that we're seeking to engage with when we talk about, do you really have to? Mm. And she said, once you're born, the only thing you have to do is die. Because mm. we've yet to work out a way not to. Mm -hmm. And I said, yeah, but you have to eat. And mm -hmm. she said, no, people go on hunger strike. Mm. I've got to breathe. No, you could tape your nose and mouth up. Mm. The point she was making was that everything other than dying, we have some element of agency and okay. a choice within that. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're getting at when we say that this sense that have to, have to, have to presses down on us in a way that isn't liberating and doesn't move towards, I come back to this, a beneficial outcome. Mm -hmm. And so have to, must do, need to, should do, ought to are all vocabulary of used to coerce. Mm -hmm. Others, each other and oneself. So they are part of the mechanics or the vocabulary, the tools you might call it, of superiority and authoritarian mm -hmm. systems. Yeah. You cannot make people do things or keep them in line or on a leash mm. without having the vocabulary to do so. I cannot suppress you or oppress you without some vocabulary. Mm. I may not have the physical strength to do that to 10 people. Mm. I can certainly create structures, hierarchical structures of superiority and authoritarianism. Mm -hmm. I require a coercive language or a language around that that makes that happen. Mm. There's an interesting thing that you mentioned about what brought you to the mill, because I think that that might be a, <laughs> a useful segue for what it is that the relationship between uploading yeah. and the mill yeah, is. Before we get there, though, I just want to say that was really good because when we have talked about upwording in the past, you and me, Rivka, like, and why I was wanting to ask quite specifically where it's come from, in that there are concepts within what you've talked to me about previously that are very like, oh, this is NLP, mm. this is neuro-linguistic programming. But what I like about in this discussion, what we're getting more towards is that to me, neuro-linguistic programming, I don't know that much about it, I'm not trained in it, but my of my knowledge of it, it seems very based on just an individual's internal monologue or thought process with themselves. And what's interesting to me is what you said there about analysing systems of authority and control and power and how language is used within those systems. And upwording to me seems like a much more direct focus on that kind of thing and the kind of like... Yeah, how systems of authority use language to coerce. Whereas neurolinguistic programming is, to me, of my little limited knowledge of it, seems very... It's a bit like... Oh, it's like a good example. I mean, this is kind of like around the, the bend example, but, but kind of like, you know, self-help or a diet, a diet thing that was just going like, oh, just eat loads of quinoa and then eat loads of like blah, 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 fresh food. But you live in a place and you have 
a certain amount of income that means that you can only really buy food of a certain quality. So you don't have the ability to do those things that you know would be better for you because there are systems in place and systems of power and control in place that haven't been analysed by the person who's just saying, oh, just eat more quinoa or eat less fatty food. It's like, well, actually, the only choice I have when I've come out at the end of the day and I have £1.50 is to go get a bag of chips for £1.50 because a bag of quinoa costs £2. And I kind of, this is kind of what I was trying to get at with the, with the second question I asked you about, about kind of an example that was beyond but and and, because to me, the really fascinating thing about all of this is the scrutiny on systems of power and control that we live under that we kind of feel they, they kind of have an invisibility to them and it's really really nice when people are actually analyzing those things and saying like this is how power works because power is something that even within very politically focused and politically progressive for want of a better word spaces and places power is something that is very very rarely talked about because even those spaces themselves have systems of power within them that need to be analysed and stuff. And I just really like that upwording seems to be at least approaching this and at least acknowledging that this is a fact rather than, for me, neurolinguistic programming seems very much like a thing. You just go away and do this and your life will be better. Whereas, that, well, my life can't be better until I can, you know, criticise the, the system of control I live under that makes me feel crap. You know? I think that's very much part of what we're saying, which is that it's, this is not a this is a prescription that will fix everything. Mm. We don't believe so, and we would definitely not seek to present it as so. Mm. It's also one of the things that we said. That's why that, that word invitation is so important. Mm. That you can come on board to whatever extent and as regularly or otherwise as works for you. Mm. It's recognizing the level of agency that you have in terms of your own use of language. Yeah. And if you are in a position where you are with others who are receptive, mm -hmm. you can start working with each other. Rifka and I still do it. Mm. Every once in a while we'll be in a conversation and I'll say something and there'll be a bit of a pause and then Rifka will say, oh, you have to, do you? <laughs> and it's a gentle reminder. <laughs> or equally, mm -hmm. somewhere in the middle of something, I've, I've said and Rifka will say, da -da -da, but, and I'll go, oh, right, okay. Rebutting my work, then. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. And we do that with humour, so I'm just going to pick up because the, the tone there, oh, so you have to do you, would be between us. Yes. Mm -hmm. I, if somebody else goes, I have to, I would just go, is that something you want to? Okay. So there's no kind of a tone of taking the piss. That was a that was a yeah. nice little that that's with that's the humor one when you've got a relationship with somebody going, mm -hmm. really? Yeah. No, really? Do you have to? And they go, well, no, I don't have to, I choose to. Yeah. People jump quite quickly to go, no, no, I want to, or going, nah, not really. It's something that I find really important. So is that something you're willing to do? Mm -hmm. Are we willing to? And that also comes to when it's not just, when it is beyond myself and yourself as a team. Mm. Yeah. If we let go of any notion that there's anything we have to do, then we begin to to co communicate around the things that we have agreed to do. Yeah. We have agreed we have agreed to up to to meet the criteria of an engagement whether it's with a funder uh, etc. Mm. So it is always a conscious choice. So what we're inviting is to become much more aware of conscious choice making 
rather than the choice making happening anyway, being unconscious and then being apportioned to an externalized responsibility, I only followed orders. Yeah. And I think the other thing is that when you, when you interrogate your own use of language in that way, you get to a position where you have a recognition of what the outcome is that's motivating the action. Mm -hmm. So uh, Rifke used the expression before, going to work. I may not wish to get up at six o'clock in the morning to go in to whatever it is I'm doing. Mm. However, the money that I make by doing that means that I can go on holiday to some really gorgeous places twice a year. Mm -hmm. That changes my relationship to the getting up at six o'clock because I know what the impact is that's coming from this thing that I'm now choosing to do. Mm -hmm. Mm. And maybe I don't require any of those words because I'm beginning to realize I am making choices all the time, including how I respond to something. Mm. What amount of energy do I put into the response? How do I want to respond? How else could I respond? How else could I frame something, understand something, read something? And it might be that I just, I get up in the morning, I go to work, mm -hmm. and noticing what happens to myself and to others, if I just leave out all this have to, which, because all the have to's and need to's are also part of that stress list, something around all these things that we have to do. If we have many of those things we have to do, therefore it means I'm busy. Yeah. If I'm busy, therefore I have value. Okay. That works really well within the capitalist system. Yeah, absolutely. I quantify, well, I see my value as the quantity of all these things I have to do. I'll probably get into a competition with people around me going, God, yeah, I can see you're really stressed. Mm. I've got all of that to do and mm. my neighbor's dog is ill mm. and I've got to look after that. So we then up each other mm. on the amount of things we have to do and how stressed we are because stress is the only evidence that yeah. I'm busy and therefore I'm important. Yeah. And yet we're constantly talking about the problems of stress and the impact it has on health. Yeah. So a first thing that we can easily do if we want to reduce stress for oneself and each other is just drop all the have to's, need to's, must do's, should do's, got to's and go, I am doing. Maybe I'm not doing, I'm choosing not to, I'm willing to, I'm prepared to. I want to, in fact, I can't wait to, I'd love to. When? Mm. And I play a little game with myself sometimes, even now, um, where when I find myself moving into have to, must, shoulds, mm. um, little bell goes off and the voice says, says who? Hmm. Hmm. That is, yeah, that's me. <laughs> so another way of thinking of that is, I might go, actually, I want to improve my health and well-being mm. and my energy. And that, and I would like to impact on other people. So therefore, I'm definitely not going to use any recursive vocabulary because I know it just adds to stress. Mm. And actually, no, we don't have to. We are making choices. We'll be a lot healthier. That's one way. That's a, that's a personal, that's around health, that's around respect, that's around being with rather than above, or it's a power with rather than a power over. Another thing I could be thinking of is that every time that I reach for or fall into using any of those words, and there are many others, I am actually inadvertently, or in this case, maybe consciously, upholding 
authoritarian yeah. systems. Okay, how about, I have to pay the rent, says who, my landlord, why, I'll go to jail. And what if you rephrase that into, I want to pay the rent, mm -hmm. okay. because I want to keep living here, yes. and I don't want to get on the wrong side of my landlord. Okay, cool. And, yeah. if, and if want doesn't please enough because it's mm. too much, well, I don't really want to pay that level of rent. Well, maybe I don't, yeah. I, I will pay that rent for now. For those reasons. For those reasons. In fact, I'm going to start looking at somewhere else to live that yeah. is of a lower rent. Okay. Or, uh, yeah, or just I will pay it. Mm. I am paying the rent. I don't agree with it. I'm going to do something around it. Yeah, yeah. I could also choose to refuse to pay the rent. I could then be thrown out. I might want it to go to a court case. I mm -hmm. might want that to be the precedent mm -hmm. for the rent being too high. And I'm going to get the newspaper involved. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a number of choices that we can make. I could also go, I don't want to pay the rent anymore. Can you start paying the rent? Because you haven't paid for six months. Mm. Or I can try and meet people who have more money than me and they can pay the rent. The point is there are options. Yeah. Mm. At least some options. And when there's no options available, when we have very little control over what is happening to us, we still have the possibility of choosing how to respond in that moment. Yeah. That's yeah, the last of our given freedoms, mm -hmm. is how to respond in any given circumstance. Cool. Right. So, Charles, you already mentioned the mill. So I'm going to rewind the conversation a little bit back and ask about what is what is the relationship between Upwording and Islington Mill, where we are at the moment recording the podcast, um, and how is Upwording being used here at the mill? Is it being used here at the mill? Are there examples you could give? How did it get here and how is it used? Mm-hmm. Okay, well it got here because I started being invited to do some work here, still as a freelancer. And the work that I did then and still do, we both do, uh, is to work with teams and organisations in assisting them to develop their communications in such a way that everybody is a much more satisfied, willing member of the team, the community, the organisation. Okay. So I came in already with hmm. an idea of how to... Uh, assist people in developing communication uh, or how to avoid conflict or tension, maybe how to deal with them if they do come up. Mm. Um, so with my arrival and then doing a number of things within the organization as a freelancer, and I'm just going to jump to that because that was on the last podcast, mm -hmm. is I'm one of the uh, four people in the shared yeah. artistic director role. Yeah. And that's together with Bill Campbell, with Maurice Carling and with Rachel Goodyear, and who came on training that I, we did, I think already back then in 2015, 2016, and Upwording really came about or got articulated as this movement practice in 2016. So they were quite early on with that, with that, with the learning, and uh, actually we prefer the word learning to training. I just noticed they used the word training, so <laughs> remove that one. Share it to learning sharing. Mm -hmm. um, that included also coaching and uh, how to give feedback in a way that people can and want to hear it and do something with it. So as I started working closer 
as we started working closer with each other, Moray, Bill, Rachel and myself, we really made a decision to use upwording basically by really noticing mm -hmm. our vocabulary, noticing what that reveals and shifting it. So I'd say that certainly the biggest example we've just used throughout this conversation today is the coercive command, the demand, the have tos, must tos, need tos, mm -hmm. and also the shoulds, which also then come under unsolicited advice, and highly with a moralistic superiority mm. thrown in there as well, how it should be done. We don't use those mm. between us and, to, and with others. It is very, very rare that one of those words enter the room. When they do, we choose to notice what is going on. And often there is a pressure that may come from outside, somewhere, that has suddenly brought in with it that pressure and it manifests in the should do mm. or need to do. And we notice it and we shift it. We mm. go back into conscious decision-making rather than the reacting to. Yeah. Mm. Um, with it, there's more around upwording and its vocabulary. It's around the uh, choosing not to label other people, or even oneself. That's a, that's a big other area I think we could have a, a, a separate podcast on. Mm. And it's certainly around not apportioning any blame or even looking for who's guilty or who's done something. We don't use right or wrong. Those kind of evaluative binary polarized judgments. Mm -hmm. Instead, what takes place is a curiosity, is wanting to find out, is taking something and learning from it. How can we prevent it from happening again? How can we do it differently? What is going on? Mm. So it also moves from, uh, more often than not, from being furious about something to becoming curious as to what went on. So between the four of us, we really do. We very consciously have made an effort. It's become habitual now. It's the new habitual. Mm. And I'm specifically going habitual rather than normal, because normal is one of the words that also we would go, please let's watch this idea of normal, because with normal comes out normal. So how about mm -hmm. if we just let go of that word yeah. and let it go into the archive? Mm -hmm. Much like the concept itself, I feel. I think that's something that's been happening since lockdown very plainly showed people that their conception of normal comes usually comes from an outside <coughs> excuse me usually comes from an outside power structure and is used to constrain and control people and when people were put into a literal life or death situation like myself we decided to make choices to follow life paths that weren't based around what was seen as being normal quote unquote and I feel like one of the things that is causing so much tension in the world right now that is being expressed. I mean, there's a lot of things, but one of the things I feel is a kind of death of normal, the realisation that there is no normal. So these kind of, like, dreams that people have of kind of, like, you know, their general day-to-day -day aspirations of what makes them feel, quote-unquote, normal, that stuff was all rubbish, and it was, it was never fulfilling in the first place anyway. And I feel that that's a real reality of something that has happened, I feel, since uh, the pandemic, because it's forced people to confront that. Yeah, it's also the use of the term is, is the basis on which we can then other mm -hmm. Absolutely. those who are not yeah. normal. Mm. 
And it, I, I think very strongly that it's one of, Rifk made reference to the, 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 the sort of binary terms, that as soon as you move into that, the potential for agreement is being distanced. And one of the things that we, we talk about regularly in our, our sessions, and because Rifka was talking about how what has become habitual, it didn't happen overnight. Mm. It's a, a system and a systematic practicing of. Mm -hmm. The thing about upwording is that if you're engaging with it as a practice and the intent behind it, then the blaming and shaming goes away. Mm -hmm. There's a reminding, mm. there's a noticing, there's a building up of what, what we talked about earlier, of awareness, both in yourself and in others, without the labelling of, oh, well, you got that wrong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's simply a question of, we've slipped back into the old habit, which, as, as Rivka said, often comes because of external pressures yeah. and or pressures we place on ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what habits do. When in doubt, go back to. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course. That's why it's a habit. Yeah. Hmm. Something that did strike me there as we were talking about this, within the vocabulary and the lexicon of upwording, is there a word that describes words that shouldn't be used because their mm -hmm. connotation is negative? But then again, should you use that word because are we not trying to do away with negative connotations? Should or shouldn't. It's important to have a descriptor for words that should less habitually be used <laughs> because the connotation is uh, disruptive or I'm trying to avoid using the word negative. Yeah, it was the should actually. It's, so it's one the important the word yeah, yeah. yeah. Really important is that this is in no way about what somebody should or shouldn't do. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, we're becoming prescriptive again, yeah. like you said before. And actually, that is also where NLP can can become quite prescriptive yeah. and um, and also coercive. At its best, it doesn't. Mm. Um, just or, to, let's just say, in the hands of... That's the point I was trying to make yeah. about, like, the diet is a very explicit, yeah. very easy-to-understand example of that. Somebody telling you to eat quinoa and say, I have yeah. one pound, I can't afford quinoa. Yeah. And also to say, Ikinwa, you will be healthy. And actually, people are different, and for some, quinoa doesn't yeah. work at all. Yeah. So, no, we would definitely never go, you should, uh, to oneself. No, it's an invitation to go, um, notice what happens when those words are present and what we are inadvertently upholding, that many, an increasing number of people want to change, mm. want to shift away mm. from hierarchical superiority-driven mm. systems. Number one, am I actually still supporting them to what is it doing to us and so instead of should or shouldn't mm. we talk about shifts mm. so instead of what might we shift to okay right as opposed to which word should or shouldn't we use Accept mm -hmm. the word is is there and is used mm. what would be more beneficial what would help to move towards help to move towards. Mm. Mm. So all the vocabulary you were asking, or you said yeah. lexicon, I quite like that as well, but mm. the vocabulary is all the vocabulary that we already know. Okay. It is all the things that are within our, like, 
I want to, I would like to, as we mentioned, mm. I can't wait to, I don't want to, I might choose to refuse to do something as mm. well. So I take much more active conscious choice. It would be things like moving from everyone, always, all the time to, there have been times when I have noticed, when I have done. Yeah. There have been times I've noticed I have had a tendency to, it might imply or say up until now, it leaves it open for something else to mm. happen. Mm. For that shift. For that shift. If I go, this always happens, or I always do, or everybody always, or never, I have not only closed it down to being something that cannot change, I've also predicted the future. Yeah. I've done crystal ball thinking this will always yeah. happen. Yeah. So I've really limited. So the whole thing is about moving away from limitations to things that are liberating. Mm. And sometimes you can do that by use of tense. So... I have in the past, up till now, I have. Oh, okay. So far, I've been inclined to. Mm -hmm. That leaves the possibility that I can change it. Yeah. Not only that change is possible, that it's within my agency. Mm. Mm. So you move away from that kind of, I'm shackled to this, mm -hmm. it yeah. will never change. Yeah. I'm resigned, mm -hmm. that's my life, it's over. Yeah to the possibilities. Mm. What are the possibilities? Including, I always get angry. Well, maybe the I always get angry hasn't served me or somebody else particularly well. And maybe I don't want to get angry because the other sentences probably will be, and I don't want to get angry every time, but I always get angry. I'm using those words in particular. Mm. So how about if I go how, right up until now, I've had a tendency to be angry when I hear or see, da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay, what can I do? How would I like to respond differently? How do I want to be more resourceful in those moments? Mm. Etc. Mm. Um, and the, and the, how would I like to be? There's an immediate invitation. So we come right back to where we started out, that the whole concept is based on that sense of it being a proposition. Mm an exploration of options mm. rather than a diktat it will be done like this mm. another example would be because it came up just before binaries polarized binaries mm -hmm. uh, again i may realize that i actually choose not to upkeep binary thinking and polarized thinking um, therefore what can i do instead so instead of a classic one is it's good or bad it's right or wrong. Yeah. You can also go according to whom. So many frustrations and tensions come about because people go, that's really good, and somebody else goes, no, it's not. So now we're battling who's right, who's wrong, is the writer or the wronger. Mm. When actually it is, can only really be my personal <coughs> preference, my personal preference mm -hmm. at that moment, and it might change. So if I start owning it, then I can go, I prefer, I like, mm -hmm. I enjoy it, I can own it, yeah. I enjoyed that film, I love that film. Yeah. I don't require to go, that was a great film. I might yeah. still go, that was a great film, with an intention of going, I really, really loved it. I'm not saying, now that was a great film, mm. and that was a bad film. Mm -hmm. 
you can hear the tone, you can yeah. hear the intention. One is educational and the yeah. other one is joyful. Same word. It's also like, feels very relevant to right now in terms of how people communicate with each other on the internet. Because that is a massive arena of communication. But really the modes of communication and the methods that people use to communicate and like, for instance, Twitter, or just social media in general, but for instance, Twitter is a really good example. But also stuff like the comment sections of YouTube and stuff. There is, yeah, it's... I don't know how to articulate it exactly, but I think it's a very important conversation to be had at the moment because people are fielding personal opinions like their gospel mm. because I think in a way, maybe the... I don't know why. Has the internet trained us to be like that? Is it... I think it's, as, as Rivka said before, it's always been there. I think what it's done is perhaps brought it more to the fore. Mm. Um, it's definitely ensured that when you take a position that is right or wrong, you immediately move into camps, and then you can look mm -hmm. at how many mm -hmm. people come into your camp as opposed yeah. to going to the other camp. Yeah. So that comparator and that desire to be seen, to belong, mm. is increased. Yeah. The idea that I like something and therefore I might invite you also to like it is a different perspective from it's good. If you're not in my camp, then you're in that other camp. And by definition, if I think this is good and you think it's bad, we can't be in the same camp. Yeah. So if we choose to move away from the one or other, the either or, the, this camp and that camp, mm -hmm. the two camps, and we can start, then we can start practicing and I think that is something to practice because we haven't we are making a generalization here there seems to not have been yet as much practice in multifarious communication mm. as I would love to engage in in the future mm. uh, we may go well actually I really I had this and that experience I have this and that preference this is my reading of it is there a different one mm. and is there another one that is different and there's another differing one and then we can start seeing where they overlap because there'll always be some kind of and there mm. will be that, that's interesting no there will not always be an overlap <laughs> there may well be overlap and because I choose to look for overlap and connection I'll probably find connection rather than looking for the disconnection of well I'm in that camp because that one is wrong mm -hmm. so I may find more connection with people who have a differing view to mine mm -hmm because I'm looking for differing views. It also opens up that whole area of diversity, which, mm -hmm. which is, is very much a, a buzz expression. I, I'll deviate ever so slightly, because diversity is one of those things that I refer to as an umbrella word or a suitcase word. Mm. Um, what I mean in this instance is it opens up the possibility for there to be a multiplicity of either perspectives and or experiences. Yeah. And for that to be what we engage with mm -hmm. and what we explore as opposed to setting up barriers by taking positions and camps. Yeah. Hmm. That seems, yeah. I'm just thinking about the, the connotations of what that what that means and yeah it seems like a very that does seem like a very positive outlook to have at the moment particularly like I said when you're used to 
I spend a lot of my life online because it's where a lot of my business is. To be able to maintain that perspective in that scenario seems really, really important, actually, and quite pressing for where we are right now in terms of, without wanting to fall into negative language, but the opposite of that or the where that could go in a negative sense is really, really pressing and could be very, very bad. And to me, in certain senses, it feels like we are actually witnessing that happen in the world right now. So that... Very much so. Yeah, very, very much, much so. so. Almost so. in any field that you engage, I mean, the political sphere is the immediate and obvious yes. one. Yeah, um, but even the social sphere, like how it's bleeding into that. And, like, it, and into relationships. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, that's one of the reasons why when we talk about upwording, we say, we say that it's, it's a benefit in almost any set of circumstances you care to look at. It's, it's a beneficial to, to one's own self-awareness. Mm -hmm. It's beneficial within the context of uh, family relationships. It's beneficial within the context of uh, social relationships, work relationship. Name the area where interaction goes on and where language is used. Mm. And what we're talking about with regard to upwording can apply. Can't think of anything off the top of my head. I was in. Well, I mean, I think it, I feel like it applies across the board. It applies in all, all these areas. And if we choose to engage in upwording, in the practice, in the noticing, in the shifting, in I think what was mentioned also, maybe choosing to archive some of the words or even compost them. Some people mentioned or retire them all together or use them with a lot more care and un understanding. Recycle. And, uh, recycle them, yeah. Um, and uh, really check our intention in that, in that moment. Then the conversations that have the multiple views and preferences can happen because they'll be towards a mutually agreeable something. Mm -hmm. It may take a while to have a mutually agreeable outcome. Mm -hmm. We may find a mutually agreeable stage or place. So rather than battling with one another as to who is right or wrong or what should or shouldn't happen according to, mm -hmm. um, we can begin to move together to something that, and I'm going to jump a little bit here, could be a desirable world for all. Yeah. I think also that one of the things that, you know, you were talking about um, the kind of wider social circumstance and you made reference to uh, what happened during the pandemic. Mm. One of the things that came up during that time was how important it can be for a cohesive society that we collaborate. Yeah. In order to collaborate, to facilitate collaboration, what we're talking about is beneficial. If you're not going to, you know, dig your trench and be in your camp, it is far more likely that you will find the place where you can collaborate. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. If you are open to the idea that yours isn't the only way, mm. that there isn't a right mm -hmm. or a wrong way, there are differing perspectives, the potential for us then to work out, and within those different perspectives, what's common, therefore, mm. what can we do together, mm -hmm. is heightened. Yeah. What I do want to, wanted to just mention, because we also hear 
at the mill mm. and within the context of the mill and certainly the four of us are really engaging very consciously in upwording. Others have done it like mm -hmm. up to point as well yourself and others by coming to a session or listening to the podcast. That's already there. We have one in English and one in German. We'll have them in more languages soon. Um, or by osmosis, by being around and just noticing something mm. and picking it up. Um, one of the things that we will want to start doing is to have what we would call the crucial critical conversations that we have started, I think about like nearly two years ago now, a year and a half ago, and rolled out to, um, to do, which is for whatever group or team or community or network of people who actually wish to have conversations on the hot topics where people are often at the moment at loggerheads mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. that could be about vaccination cool. still or masks yeah. or yeah. trans or diversity, when or what, what diversity what and so on yeah. is that they can actually be had with an understanding of how to engage in yeah. The, the communication, in the listening, in the adding on to, mm. in the seeking for more. Mm -hmm. And we call it specifically crucial critical conversations um, rather than difficult and challenging. Mm -hmm. And that's another really upwording choice because if yeah. I go, it's going to, are we dealing with difficult or challenging conversation? You've already brought in that they will be difficult and they will be yeah. challenging. Yeah, yeah. And there will be conflict. So that is something we would like to make happen at the mill, I think, as soon as it can be open now to okay. the public again, uh, which is sometime next year when we've got the lifting and everything, mm -hmm. and then have those crucial, critical conversations facilitated where people can learn to have them and have them. Mm -hmm. I think because of what Rivka said about the, the, the four... Uh, what's your what's your label? The four of you. <laughs> oh, I was very, I was actually quite. I didn't go. I'm an artistic director. I said we are That's sharing funny. the artistic director role or the artistic directorship. I'm working artistic on it. Artistic directorship. Yeah. Um, one of the one of the interesting things about that group of people then being receptive the idea of upwording is that it seemed to make sense and indeed some of the sharings of the early iterations of this is what we mean by upwording here are the practices that we're engaging with it seems to make sense that for want of a better term that upwording is effectively housed within the mill that the, okay. the, that the mill becomes the word i think i used way back was a petri dish mm. for how that engagement with upwording can be beneficial and or disseminated yeah. to a wider um, a wider audience, a wider constituency. So that's part of the relationship that Upwording will have with, with, with this place. Yeah. And the impact already has been that because we are really consciously considering what we do and not do, mm -hmm. it has led to decisions to not go for a particular fund. Because mm. we've removed the, we have to because it's yeah. there. Yeah. And I've been around and seen and heard some of these conversations. So this is actually making a lot of practical sense to me now when I see it in this way. Um, yeah, taking out the, <clears throat> we have to get this funding. It's like, mm, do we really? And also that's something that's very applicable in my own life as an artist. It's like, oh, I have to get, mm, do I? You know, and just kind of like challenging those those 
desire. Well, I don't know. I don't know if desire is the right way to. Well, it's 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 a consideration of actually, do we want to? Do we want to? Uh, get into bed with that funder or do mm. we want to uphold those criteria mm. that whether it's a funder or a contract or whatever uh, and also do we have the capacity mm. Mm. because if we're actually taking so for me I choose to refuse to accept that stress is an acceptable part of working it is not acceptable therefore it's not about how do we manage stress it's how can we avoid stress in the first place mm. and recognize there's periods of stretch can I quote you on sprint, that? You absolutely can. <laughs> I refuse can we get that to... put on a plaque? Yeah, yeah. It's, it, <laughs> I run a little workshop called SOS Stress or Stretch and Sprint. Okay. And th there is a real difference to go, no, stress is not acceptable. Mm. It is really unhealthy. So therefore, let's do everything in, that we can to avoid people going into stress. Stress meaning ongoing periods of having too much as well as using language that also adds to the very stress. So it's actions mm. and language. So what can we do? We can shift the way we speak about things and towards one another. We can also make sure that people aren't beyond capacity. So yes, there are moments when it, there will be a sprint. There are moments that are a uh, stretch, maybe for two or three weeks. It is not ongoing. Mm. Therefore, we will not go for this fund. Therefore, we will not go for this project or we will go for this project in a different way. Mm. Because actually, no, we don't have to. We are choosing to. Yeah. And we want everybody else to do the choosing as well. Mm. This actually seems like a very good point to end at. Um, I was, you have answered this already, but I was wanting to ask you, where do you see upwarding going? Because you talked about where does upwarding come from? And the obvious flip side of that question is, where is it going? But I think you've actually articulated that really well, specifically with um, the involvement with Islington Mill. There are some things in our sheets that we haven't covered, but I think we should just stop now because I think I would like to continue this conversation again in a future podcast as well. And if you're up for that, I would Definitely. Think. Yeah, great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Yeah. And I'll be speaking to you both again soon. Thank you. Thank you, Niall. That was great. Thank you.